0: Hello, I think I'm recording, so I guess we'll try this out. Okay, so um, I guess for the warm up today we'll uh, we'll go over another verse and uh, we'll kinda of start off with some of the vocabs for the, the passage on, which is, yeah, work. work, exactly, work. Yeah, so obviously this word is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, can anyone tell what? Omicron... Everyone should know this word. Exactly. So it's like, if we all got into heaven, and I say, well, you got into My life has got to show that I believe A demonstrative pronoun, most of the time, or majority of the time, cannot refer back to something that is not of the same gender. So that means it's not modifying this thing right here. So then what is it modifying?
1: If you're listening, hey, I disavow any responsibility. Um, Look at Wave Bible app on Apple's store and you can get a free parsing uh, Bible study app. And I'll let you play with that and contact me if you have any issues. So, talking about the texts themselves, we are not going to get into textual criticism. but you do need to know what it is because you're going to find every now and then you're going to run into an issue and you just need to know why. The Gospel of John written in Greek the letter to the Ephesians written in Greek handwritten by the way some of Paul's other letters uh, by the way how do I know they were handwritten? Because there wasn't anything else! (laughs) Okay Uh, some of Paul's letters are actually signed by Paul at the end. See, I write, as see the big letters? (laughs) Which has led to the thought that Paul was, uh, had visual problems. So he had to write real big to be able to see what he was doing and what he was writing. Um, Who knows? We don't have what they wrote. I, by the way, believe I know why. And I've shared this with some of you probably. What, What would happen, do you suppose, if there was a scroll or a a set of of papyri pages somewhere of the Gospel of John? It would be be worshipped. And by the way, within about three years, there would easily be 10,000 of them. All original. I mean, look at how many different crosses there are across the world. It is astounding. Jesus could have been crucified on a daily basis from the day he was to today on the number of crosses because people not only fall into a kind of idolatry, but people also defraud each other. And so, personally, I think God did this on purpose. I don't think he let there be. What we do have is an enormous number of fragments Quotes, and then the further you get, whole documents. And compared to other texts, so much evidence for what that letter was, for example, from Paul. That by the modern standards that we use... C.S. Lewis, who, by the way, as an academic, he was not an author by profession. He was uh, a philologist. He was a literary academic. This is what he did for a living. And he once wrote that there was more evidence for the legitimacy of the New Testament, for the reliability of the New Testament documents, than for anything by Shakespeare that we've got literally only one quarter of the time away that's the word is used over, overused I believe but I think it is probably applicable it truly seems miraculous and I believe it is by miraculous I mean God stepping into the natural order and doing something to make sure this happened I believe the Holy Spirit not only gave the documents but preserved them for us. And there's literally nothing else that we've got, not only from the ancient world, but seriously, 500 years ago, that we have this kind of massive overwhelming evidence for. However, that said, how did we get it? Paul wrote a letter. Somebody looked at Paul's letter and said, you know what, more people need to read this. And we need to have it so we can read it again and we can remind each other of it. So I'm going to copy it and send a copy along with whoever when they visit Eastern Asia Minor. And that kind of thing just kept happening and happening and happening and happening and happening until there's literally thousands. Of copies. And that, by the way, was not at all unusual. Any kind of formal document would have that, much like us cutting and pasting and sending it to each other only for them. They had to actually physically write it out. And remember, this is still uncio, okay? Which means that not only are there the human error factors, but there are also the times when they're looking at it and trying to decide what it means. And every now and then might say something different. So you see variance. So let's say we have a hundred documents that have the text in one way, and five that have it a different way. What would you conclude from that? You have
2: one. You have a hundred.
1: That's one way and five that are
2: another way. Okay, you're going to
1: trust the five less, right? Because you're going to believe, and almost always accurately, that the five is probably something that was more recent, and probably what happened is that somebody made an error, or edited, and they did that too, unfortunately, the original document or the, the text that they had seen, and then the next person who copied it copied the error and passed that down. So the more you've got, the earlier, the more reliable it is. Um, and that, other, that, that earlier thing is important, too. There are passages, for example, in the Gospel of John. Uh, this is a very key passage in the Gospel of John. There's another one in the Gospel of Mark where a lot of of modern translations will not even have the passage. They they simply will not, um, they won't put it in. Or they'll footnote it and say, the best manuscripts do not have verses whatever. Um, But then they footnote it because the stories are well known. For example, have you ever heard the story of uh, the woman caught in adultery? You know the story? Jesus is, is teaching and some Pharisees who are very clearly trying to trip him up because he's got this nasty habit of forgiving people. Um, they bring a woman they said was literally caught in the act of adultery and dragged her and, and threw her at Jesus' feet. which. Which probably means, by the way, that she's either nude or uh, disheveled. um, Because caught in the act means just that. And yes, a lot has been made out of the fact that apparently the guy wasn't caught in the act, just the woman. But then there were Pharisees. So what are you going to say? And they threw her at Jesus' feet and they said, what's the law say? Because what did the law say? Stone her. Kill her. And Jesus said, you're right. That's what it says. And he looked around and he said, so? Whoever has no sin, you start. You pick the first rock up and throw it. And one by one, everybody caught on and went away. And then Jesus looks at the woman and says, Where where are your accusers? She says, They've all gone away. And he says, Well, I don't judge you either. But, go and sin no more. Great story. One problem. Almost definitely didn't happen. And how do we know that? Because it didn't appear for hundreds of years. We've got the documents from hundreds of years earlier of the Gospel of John, or of Mark. No, that one's John. And it's not in there. And then all of a sudden, was it 5th century? Hundreds of years later, all of a sudden, ta-da, there it is. So almost certainly, someone inserted it. Now, maybe it was an oral tradition that had passed on. And in that sense, maybe it did happen, and the oral tradition preserved it, and it worked its way in. But it is very suspect. Now, the reason I go through that is, in order to come up with this, for those of you online, I'm holding the Greek New Testament, and there I am opening it up, and it's got all these pages, and it's, well, how do they know what to put in? They take the most reliable they take what is the, the most agreement, the earliest documents. But there are still going to be some documents or some areas of disagreement. Should that be in or should it not be in? And so there are different New Testament Greek versions. They, they differ almost not at all the differences between them are extraordinarily minimal and not one of them has anything to do with any major doctrine in the Christian faith. Which, once again, I find miraculous. How could that happen if the Holy Spirit wasn't making it happen when we can't agree on some basic things having to do with Ulysses Grant's life? Literally. We've got better evidence For most of the New Testament, than we do for that. How can that be? So, if you're reading a Greek text and someone else is studying also, and they come in and say, "I was really, I was really astounded that this word was this," and you're going, "Well, I'm astounded because it's not that; it's this." You might want to compare and see. At the beginning of it, it tells you what version is being used. here you just have the credits. Um, this is usually referred to as Allen et al., A-L-A-N-D, Alland, um, or Allen and Metzger, um, because they're the editors that worked on it. Uh, I don't see textual notes in this version of it. Uh, well, yeah, here you go. In the introduction, there's all sorts of textual notes that describe why they chose this and not this and so forth. I also have a companion to this one in my office. Um, that is nothing but textual notes. It's the same size. <laughs> Have you got that one?
2: No.
1: Okay. If you want to play with it sometime, feel free. Uh, I've looked at it, I think, twice in 40 years. Um, so don't get overwrought by them, but do be aware of them because I just told you, for example, to look at Wave, and I don't know if Wave is using Allend and Metzger. So you might actually find a different word than... I would have, or that Brian would have, because we're using that. It's going to be really, really rare that that happens. So don't worry about it. And for my money, it's certainly not worth saying, well, then I won't use that resource. Um, Particularly since we're not really sure on the questionable ones, which ones are questionable. Okay. I don't, this might be superfluous by now, but I'm going to go ahead and pass these out. Is there a question over here? No. You're saving them up. You're saving them up. Thanks a lot. We're just going to destroy you all at once. Like Randy's final exam. Just remember my favorite answer is what? I don't know. I'm, I'm very willing to give that answer. Okay. Well, because it's in there and because I'm not ready to take a break, we need to do some vocab work, don't we? How many of you have memorized all of the vocabulary words? No? Amazing. Amazing. Um, okay. Okay. I don't know when the artwork is going to be erased, but it's not going to be tonight. (laughs) So there we go. There's the board. Okay, starting with something easy. What is that word? What? Almost definitely not ang. Well, who knows? But the the two dominant systems don't have a hard A. So, um angulos. So, remember the double gamma in G. Um Angulos. N-D, we we bring it into English as A-N-G for angel. Right? So, what is um angulos? Boy, did I just give you a hint. (laughs) Literally, angel... I mean uh, that's, that's actually trans, literally, because there, there's no translation. that's just English letters to the Greek word. But angel means messenger. Now, what kind of messengers might there be in the Bible? No, it's not a trick. Why do you people think that of me? I don't do things like that. Well, now that's who they're from. I said, what kind are there? Okay, there's some scary ones. There's some high-ranking ones. Archangel is, that's a symbol of rank, or a, a statement of rank. Um, one of the interesting things is that a lot of the passages that describe angels appearing are accompanied with humans hitting the dirt. So you got the shepherds out at night, and the angels appeared. What did they do? They got scared stiff. They were, to quote the King James translation, sore afraid. I always liked that. Sore afraid. They were were so scared it hurt. It's not at all what they were saying, but hey, that sounds like it, right? But this would also be Timothy delivering A message from Paul to Corinth. And this is why when we try to have a theology of angels, as some have have tried to do, we run into a major problem. The biggest problem, by the way, is the Bible says almost nothing about them. And and so when you read books that say things like angels, 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 not pointing to any authors or titles, um, you can pretty well count on 95% of that being fiction. They're making it up. Because it's not in the Word. And if you like fiction, then go ahead and read it. But don't believe it's, it's inspired. Okay? Um, but there's another problem, and that is that we have a tendency to, to look at the one thing and, and then assume it about the others. What's an angel look like? What's the right answer to that question? No. I don't know. I know what some of them looked like at some times. For example angels appeared to Abraham and he thought they were just people. And then he figured out they weren't. And the Hebrews letter tells us that some people have actually entertained angels
0: without knowing
1: it. Because they think they're just regular people. Now, does that mean that they are regular people who are also messengers of God? Or does that mean they are the supernatural beings that we tend to think of as angels how do you know that? What? Context. Context. And even that sometimes is going to give you a coin toss. But most of the time, that's, that's the only way you're going to know. Okay. Not quite as easy, but should be somewhat easy. That's an alpha, trust me. What does that mean? What is, what is it? Say the word. Amartia. Amartia. Now this, sloppy as I am, is what's called a hard breathing mark. That's a soft breathing mark going open to the left or open to the right. Open to the right is a hard breathing mark, and that connotes an H sound in some of the systems. So you'll see it's spelled in the transliterations frequently H-A-M-A-R. Whereas you will never see angel spelled A J, because it's a soft. Okay. So amakia or hamakia, and it means what? They can not hear you when you do that. So say it louder. Sin. sin. You should never smile and laugh like that when you say sin. It's bad. I Always smile when you say sin. Good thing for you we're not identifying people on this recording. Okay, so it means sin. Now, here's a good one for you. What does sin mean? What did you say? Wrongdoing, that's kind of what we would normally say, or disobeying God. You said missing the mark. Where in the world did that come from? Unrighteousness.
2: You talked about sin being something like
1: a... Like what? I can't remember (laughs) how you word it. I
2: can't either. Okay. Missing the mark is a... A marksman shooting at a
1: target. Yeah, remember that this is two thousand years ago, so you don't do that with your finger. <laughs> That's right. Pull the pull the bow back, there you go. It's hitting the mark, it's hitting the bullseye,
2: it's hitting exactly what we
1: are to do, what we know is right. What we learn is right.
2: Right. And when you miss that you okay. know what is right. So where'd you probably, get that? Probably from that word meaning something about Greek archery.
1: Where did you get that? I'm learning
2: interpretation.
1: No, you're not learning interpretation. If I can interpret what you're learning. That's what I did there. What you're learning is vocabulary. That's That's not interpretation.
2: I know, I
1: know, I know. Sidebar. What I just did there, I did not mean to be pedantic. I cannot tell you how many people have argued with me about scripture passages saying, but that's just your interpretation. No, I'm sorry. That's the definition of the word. It's got nothing to do with my interpretation. Now, whatever I do with it, okay, that's my interpretation. But the definition of the word is objective. I didn't define it. You guys didn't define it. If, if I didn't define it and you didn't define it, where did we get this miss the mark thing? Concretely, where did we get that? By the way, that's accurate. But where
2: did we get
1: that? Where did we get the original
2: text?
1: Well, no, we got the original text, we got all we've got is harmakia. But I thought you said the original word or the original meaning. There there is a another word that comes from Greek. Etymology. This is a good word. This is a fun word. You should all say this one and smile and laugh. Not sin. Etymology. Etymology is the study of the root or the origin of a thing. And in this context, it's almost always applied to the root or origin of the word. So... When we do a word study and we start with Strong's, you're going to get sin. And what is sin? And it's going to say something like doing wrong, disobeying God, uh, unrighteous. Uh, mostly because you can say all those things without a lot of words. And they don't have any room. They've only got like you know, so many characters that they can take up. So where do you go to get more than that? More than just a synonym or two? You're doing the study. Where do you go? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. The Vines book?
2: I love it. <laughs> what is Vines?
1: Okay, Vines is a dictionary. Concordance will almost never help you. Lexicon, right. The, the concordance is where you might start to find the word, but by definition, uh, concordance is about listing the places, not defining or or broadening. So, you get the Vines book. I love that. Yeah, it does, because that's the name of the editor, Vine. That's why there's an apostrophe there and an S, because it's his complete expository dictionary. You see. And Vine is a scholar who teamed up with a bunch of other scholars, has studied the etymology. Just out of curiosity, does anybody know how they did that to find out what that word used to mean? What it originally meant? They what? (laughs) You guys are mumbling a lot tonight. To what? To the whole to some old guy. <laughs> so I got this guy, he's like 3,000 years old. He used to speak this language.
2: Yeah. Okay, they do go
1: to old documents. They go to um, literature. They go to papyri fragments. They go to uh, laws, letters, By the way, when we say documents, uh, we need to agree that that's a generic term that might apply, for example, in many cases more to shards of clay than anything that looks like that paper, because for them, a document was usually inscribed in clay, something that would harden and have a longevity to it, Um, and the problem with clay is it breaks. So if you go to the excavation of almost any old village or town, you're going to find a pile of broken pieces of pottery. And some of that is going to be just broken pieces of pottery. Maybe a little artwork on it. But they would take the broken pieces and they would repurpose them and use them to write on. Because Uh, a clay tablet that was going to stay a clay tablet with this written on it was something that only people with some uh, means, some wealth, could afford. The average person would just go grab some pottery. Uh, They might heat it up to make it softer, or they might just scrape into it, and that would be the way they would record these things. So you'd see letters written to friends carried by a third party on the side of uh, a broken piece of, uh, of a jug. We have laundry lists. We have orders from military commanders to underlings and vice versa. We have all sorts of things, all the same kinds of things that we would do, they did. And so archaeologists will go back and find these things and literary archaeologists will then go back and examine the, the, the words themselves and from the context figure out how they're being used. Which is why we know that armatia was a word that was used in an archery context, in early use of the word. Because, and how do we know it's early use of the word? Because the documents or the shards or whatever are dated earlier either by uh, dating methods on themselves or by where they're found, or by what they refer to. Something referring, for example, to the census of Caesar, you know didn't come from 500 A.D., because there wasn't any such thing, right? So, uh, or something that has with it a reference to the recent victory of a certain pharaoh you know, came from the era, at least, of the battle that Pharaoh won. And by cross-referencing with all sorts of other documents, there's people who spent their entire lives doing this. Um, You you get a catalog of all these things and what they meant and when they meant that. And the really cool thing, for those of us with a sense of humor, is, because you're having fun, remember, is you can take a word and see how it was used in the New Testament and then you can look at how it was used by these documents 100 years earlier 300 years earlier 500 years earlier 1000 years earlier and trace the development of meaning in the word and that's just fun right? you guys scare me you're just where's the exuberance? okay we so what happens if you, if you write a 10-volume dictionary based on all of that kind of research that's available using hundreds of the, the leading uh, literary archaeologists of the Bible alive? And after you publish it, some bozo goes and digs up a, a place and it's got a whole bunch more with more stuff that you didn't document.
2: What
1: do you do? You either do a revised version or you encourage some other guy to write a volume that's just that stuff. So, for the New Testament, by far the gold standard for defining New Testament words is the original Kittel. Gerhard Kittel was the senior editor. He did not write ten volumes of stuff. Not a chance. He had hundreds of people he worked with, and they're referenced. They're given credit. After Kittles was published, there was a major archaeological find, plus a number of minor ones, and there's a whole bunch of papyri fragments that were found that shed light on many New Testament words, Kina Greek words. So there's another book out called Moulton and Milligan, Again, after a certain number of years, they just tend to be known by the authors because almost always that's shorter than the title. And this one is something like the vocabulary of the Greek New Testament is found in the papyri fragments from such and such. Um, And it is designed to do exactly that. It's like, okay, we're not going to address these words, anything that existed before this find. We're only going to reference words from this find. And... What light this finds shed on it, or in that case, these finds—it wasn't just one. But
2: would those shed
1: light on what Kittle had. No, it would. Well, it would shed light. Sometimes it, it's almost never contradictory. In fact, I've not—I've not run into—I've got them both. I've not run into anything contradictory. But there's times when Kittle is going to have virtually nothing because we didn't have anything. There was. There wasn't any archaeological evidence. And then all of a sudden, Milton and Milligan come up with something, and you've got this cool picture. If I'm not mistaken, that is where this came from. Um, Which language am I writing in? Okay, I say that. Hipotas what? Hipotas. Okay, Hipotaso if you're Brian, or Hipotaso if you're me. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, a hard breathing mark. And clearly, there's a prefix. Tasso is derivative of the verb titimi, which is to place. Hipo is what? We've looked at this word before. Under. Place under. People thought so. Ephesians five. Place under one another as to the Lord. What word is that? Submit or be subject if it's New American Standard. Um, it's it's reflective. You 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 do this. Put yourself under. And those fragments found that this was used in military contexts to describe the behavior of what we would know as NCOs towards the officers. Does a picture form? Does anybody have that picture in your head right now? Any of you have military background? Okay, let me explain it this way then my father was a career sergeant so 20 years in he's got as many strikes as can get. there's no more he's had them in fact for 4 years it's 16 years he reached E9 uh, which means by the way more than anything that he knew how to play the, the, the game because it is a game and he, he passes this 22-year-old kid in the parking lot who can't shave yet and who has these brown bars on his shoulder. And what does he do? He salutes him. And he holds that salute until the salute is returned. The kid forgets it. He literally stands there holding the salute. He may call out, Lieutenant, sir! (laughs) To kind of get a little help here. But... That's the law. And if that lieutenant, fresh out of college, who doesn't know much of anything about the system they're working, tells that 20-year-old veteran, or 20-year veteran, he's doing something wrong, what does the 20-year veteran say? Yes, Yes, sir. Now, if he asks his opinion, he's going to correct him. But otherwise, he says, yes, sir, and waits for the general to come out and shoot the lieutenant out. I've seen all of this. I used to spend about two hours a day at um, Air Defense Command headquarters waiting for a ride home. And it was amazing. It's like a game they play. Why would that 20-year veteran who has all of this knowledge and experience, why would he do that?
2: It's It's a protocol.
1: And why does it have to be followed? Because Two reasons for it, by the way. Because
2: you commit to
1: doing that, okay, you which, which in, in a way, is saying because it's the law. And by the way, that's true. Because in the military, you literally go to jail if you don't follow it. It isn't like around here where you get fired. I mean, it's there's, there's, it's called a brig, and you go to it. Um, however, the the other reason for it is a justification, and that is this allows for order when you've got hundreds of thousands of people who all think they know best, um, this allows for order, and all the way to the top, you've got somebody who's able to make the decisions, and you know those decisions are going to get carried out and not all argued over for days, months, whatever, while people could be dying. Because ultimately, no matter what you're doing in the military, it's about war. That's what the military is. Does that
2: make sense? So is respect for um, the range of that person? Or the
1: system, if you will? Yeah. But you're
2: saying the young guy saw
1: all the, um, what he had on his sleeve, right? So, so by his experience... Well, I've seen the
2: young guys laugh at him. But they would do that just to not, uh, for the order of it that they whether they... The young the guys or the room older room. guys? The young guys.
1: No, the young guy often made the mistakes. The young guys were the immature guys, and they had rank on their side. So they would ignore the sleeve a lot of times. Okay. But then they were going to get chewed out by somebody sooner or later because ignoring the sleeve got them in trouble. Because the guy with the sleeve, to get there that long, knew what he was doing. There was a, one of my favorite stories about this is I was watching uh, almost the exact same scenario except it was inside... And there was a lieutenant, first lieutenant. Second lieutenant is straight out of the academy or uh, college, just just commissioned. Second lieutenant is usually six to 12 months later, and uh, or first lieutenant. And it was a first lieutenant, and he was full of himself. And he was chewing my father out left and right because he had filled out this form wrong in a way that made it incomprehensible and useless. And... The brigadier general who ran the office, it was the uh, ADC flight surgeon general's office, Um, he just happened to be walking by, and he overhears it. And and I'm I'm watching. I'm sitting over here in the corner watching all of this. And he kind of circles around behind so nobody sees him and is listening. And then all of a sudden he interjects himself and says, Lieutenant, what seems to be the problem? And Lieutenant's like, you know, The the sergeant's not real impressive, but this guy's got a star, so okay. And he turns to the general and he says, the sergeant doesn't seem to understand the process, sir. Oh, and you're teaching him? Yes, sir. Hmm. Well, that's really strange, because he seemed to understand it perfectly well when he invented it ten years ago. Because my father had actually put that process together, apparently. I didn't know that. And the lieutenant all of a sudden started trying to clear his throat, you know. He's like, (laughs) and then, of course, the brigadier general starts tearing into the lieutenant and explaining the usefulness of experience and perhaps you should start listening and things like that. All the time, my father's standing at attention. He hasn't been dismissed. He does not get to smile, you know. And then finally, brigadier general says, dismiss, sergeant. Turns around, goes back to his desk, goes back to work. Because you do not dare crack a smile. Now, by the way, he smiled plenty later. <laughs> but not there. So, yeah, it's respect, but it's not always there. It's enforced from the bottom up. It's not enforced necessarily from the top down. Unless something goes wrong. Okay. It's not that un- uh, dissimilar to what our society wants to see. When you get pulled over by one of those guys with the red and blue light, have you noticed the red and blue? By the way, that blue is deep. It is so cool. I want that for my motorcycle. It's illegal. You can't have a blue light like that on your vehicle unless you're a cop. But it, you know, they go around like this, and, and, and you pull over. And what do you say? You say, "You idiot! Why did you pull me over? Do you not know I'm in a hurry? What is with you?" Do you say this? What do you say? Not, not if, yeah, if you're sober and not stupid. You say, good evening, sir. I do. To be some guy 22 years old. He's wearing the badge, and by the way, he's also got a gun. Good evening, sir. What's that about? Do I respect him? Yes, I don't know him. I respect the office. Yeah. Show some respect for the gun, too, by the way. I, I'm not stupid. That's the, it's the same word. I place myself under. Now, apply that to marriage. That's why it so easily dissolves into this error to know to. it. It does because
2: we know this Western
1: model and we want to absolutize it. So what we do is we reject anything in the text that doesn't fit it. Now, we've gone over this text before, right? Ephesians 5.21 says what? Nope, that's
2: 22. Submit
1: to one another. another. And that is precisely why you never hear that. Because it doesn't fit this. You know? It does fit, by the way. Here you've got a brigadier general and a chief master sergeant. Um, the, the, the difference in rank between those is amazing. The difference in status. I mean, I grew up in that society. I was not allowed to go to the same pool as his kids. I couldn't go to the same teen club. couldn't eat in the same restaurant on base. It was that, the, the strata. But they would walk together, talk together, had plenty of respect. And the, the general would say to the sergeant, i um, not sure about this, what do you think? He would tell him, and he would do it. Not because he had to. The general would submit to the sergeant. Why? Because he recognized the experience. And why didn't the lieutenant? Because he was 22 and hadn't figured it out yet. I suspect the general was probably like that when he was 22. It's kind of human nature. So we tend to forget this, that it can be mutual. And of course, Paul in Ephesians 5.21 is being revolutionary. He's not just talking husband and wives. He says it's about slaves and masters. That masters are just submit to their slaves. Nobody in their right mind would have thought that. So he's saying some really revolutionary things. We can't handle it, so we don't read verse 521. We just start with 522, because it fits our paradigm. Okay? Time for a new paradigm. Amen. A day after 42 years of marriage, one of those works and one of those doesn't. It's true. Okay. See how you can play with this stuff? Now, the etymology of this, the etymology of this, even the etymology of this, you're not going to find
0: in your, on your own
1: unless you have a lot of vacation time left and the ability to travel, and you're going to go do a whole bunch of original research on your own. So instead, you're going to use these other tools that we've been talking about, and you're going to learn which ones you prefer. Some of them are going to go really. They're they're just going to kind of all over the place, and you have to read ten pages to get that kernel. And some of you are going to think that's just the best thing in the world, and some of you are going to be the second time you do it, like I'm done with this. So you get to know the tools before you invest in them, so that you know which ones you want. There's others that are going to be just like that, but they're going to, if they're going to be like that, they're going to admit omit a whole lot of stuff right so again which one's going to be the most useful for what you're doing, I don't know you're going to find that out okay, here's another one I have done erase everything except this beautiful artwork over here see if I got the accent in the right place I did. What's that? Huh?
2: <laughs> yeah. you got to play with the, the
1: um, accent. It's on the... L- yeah, it's on the last. Second to last. Yeah. <laughs> Penelence. <Penultimate. laughs> I'm just astounded I remembered that. Basilea. Or Basilea. Okay. What is a Basilea or Basilea? One of the things you can do in, uh, just intuitively is figure out what, what sounds like that. Is there anything you can think of that sounds like that? What? Basilica. Before we come to it, I want to illustrate something. Is there anything else? Any herpetologists out there? What? Basil? Basil? Is that what somebody said? Actually, I believe that would be basil, like the name. Is basil, is the herbs spelled the same way? I have no idea. Okay, cool. What else? Because that's not herpetology. You ever see that word? Shame on you. Clearly need to be around lizards more. Lizards more.
2: No, no, no. I was trying to think of the word. I was thinking Harry Potter. Yes, you shouldn't be watching that nonsense and trash anyway. <laughs> I not watch it. I read it.
1: Or that. I condemn it. There you go. Was that pontificating? Like... My marker, that's my thing. Okay? There's another word I think comes from this, but I'm not positive. I've never been able to document it. Now, what is a basilica? Is it a vegetable? Okay, we ruled that out. What? It's a building, okay. What kind of a building? Is it a hospital?
2: Not a hospital.
1: Okay, and interestingly, um, etymologically it's not religious, but we tend to use it that way. Okay. Because of what?
2: You got me right there.
1: You start talking architecture and I'm in trouble. I think that the Basilica is more
2: part of a building than the building itself. So that shows that I'm not understanding.
1: Yeah, because the ones that I'm aware of, the, the building is called the Basilica. So what are those things? originally I meant a castle. But then it became the the castle, if you will, of a bishop or archbishop. Um, and hence the religious context or context. Um, and by the way, remember that in for easily over a thousand years, um, the Western church, and by Western I mean basically Jerusalem on to the West, um, Believed that if you were high-ranking in the church, you were a prince, you were royalty, and you should indeed live opulently. So what we would see as scandal, they would say, well, duh, of course they should be like that. So if, if it's a castle, a place where a prince lives, what light does that shine on Basileia? It is the kingdom. Yes. Um, now, there's an interesting study that is done on that, that it's not just about king. It's about what the king does. What does a king do? Generically. All kings. They rule. They rule. So, where is the kingdom of God? Where? Heaven. Heaven. So God has no authority outside of heaven. What? Okay, so it's heaven and here. So the kingdom is wherever God's rule extends. Now, for a secular leader, you get a guy like, uh, oh, let's go famous a fellow named Alexander started off in uh, Macedon inherited Macedon his father more or less united a bunch of city states in Macedon northern Greece uh, Alexander took it added southern Greece, Achaia now he's united Greek Greece and then he decided yeah let's keep going and he goes east and basically unites under his rule, that word, all of what we would know as Turkey, later known as Asia Minor, all of what we would know as the Middle East, most of what we would know as North Africa, all of this that later became the Syrian Empire, the Turkish Empire, the Egyptian empires of uh, of uh, Cleopatra fame Cleopatra was Greek she was one of the descendants of the Greek rulers because Alexander had extended the kingdom the rule to all of those places had nothing to do with geography had everything to do with who has authority more to the point who has the power to back up the authority and that became Alexander Alexander so kingdom is wherever God rules. Are you in the kingdom? When we pray, let your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see what that means? We're not asking for the second coming. That's, that's not what it's, most people think that, but that's not what it's about. What we're asking for is God to rule us. Which, by the way, is a little bit ironic because the verb is in the imperative. Just threw that little fun thing in, but no extra cost. Facilea. Oh, let's see. Oh, here's a good one. That's a like Trust me. What is that word? Okay, hey, or doxa? Do you hear the difference? The modern Greeks would, would probably give a bit of a z, hard the to it instead of a hard duh. So doxa. What does it mean? Glory. Glory, yep. It is probably the closest equivalent in the Greek language to the Hebrew Shekinah which is the, the lights that followed God uh, or God's presence in the tabernacle throughout the wilderness in the 40 years, and known as the, the, the glory of God. So in the New Testament, glory, primary application is to who? In the New Testament, the glory is primarily to whom? To God. Of course. Okay. Is all this making sense? And Are you you having fun yet? Okay. All right. We'll play with the words a little bit more later. Next week, when we put the words up, we're going to add different endings. So we'll combine recognition of the words with translating the word in the way it ends. So if it's a verb, you know, what tense is it? What mood is it? All of that stuff. Okay? All right. Let's take a uh, break. You want to just barrel through. Who votes break? Stretch? Step outside? Get fresh air? I see some of you like a bobblehead. How many? How many break? Raise your hand. How many barrel through? (laughs) They do this on purpose. I
2: do.
1: I don't know. What do you want to do? Hey, I can play that game. I've been married 42 years. Okay, let's move to resources then. If you need to take a break, go ahead and stretch. Uh, by the way, always feel free to walk around this room. Clearly we do not have to be formal in here. Um, this is the analytical Greek lexicon. How many of you remember what that is? Talk talked about it tonight even. Analytical Greek lexicon. So what does it do? And and it parses the word. So the specific spelling tells you how to look it up, and then it parses it. So you guys will start with that one. This is Art and Gingrich. Have you ever used Art and Gingrich? Not in a book. Not in a book. Aren't we so technological? <laughs> wow, man, paper. <laughs> Boom. There you go. Hey, that, thing, that, that particular volume was old when I was given it my freshman year of college. It's one of the reasons I wanted so badly to, to take Greek is because I had this lexicon. And I couldn't do anything with it. Okay. Are you going to join one of them, or are you... Um, well,
2: first I'm going to call David.
1: Okay. Well, in that case, I'll wait for you to come back before I give something to you. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. Um, you have a Greek testament. Would you mind using yours? I have my Greek testament, which has not as good a cover. I want you to look up a word. I don't care what word. Find a word in the Greek testament and then look it up in the analytical and find out what word it is and parse it, okay? And be ready to share that with everybody when you're done. You, on the other hand, are going to look up a word and find out what it is, what does it mean, and then, if you have time, because it might be pretty straightforward, you're going to look it up and find out where else it occurs, because this is a concordance. Oh, Greek words. Okay? Did you ever see one of those?
0: Never seen that
1: either.
0: That's
1: all displayed in the... One of the interesting things WAVE does is they actually have a concordance function for the Greek word. I, uh, I have not seen that in PC Study Bible. They may have it, but it's not user-friendly if they do. So I was kind of excited about that today. Okay, you guys pick a word somewhere in the New Testament. those of you listening, I'm going to go ahead and turn this off now. Feel free to go ahead and practice as I've just uh, indicated they should. And um, if you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email or phone.